secretly, but now he does it publicly, calling upon all the Egyptians to be involved in killing the Hebrew baby boys. Look at chapter 1, verse 22. Verse 22, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. What an escalation of evil against the Israelites. This escalation of evil against the Israelites is similar to the escalation of evil against the Jews in the Holocaust, though far less severe in its effects than the Holocaust was. Goran Larson writes, The gradual escalation in Nazi Germany, from hate propaganda to trade boycott, the banning of Jews from certain occupations, the steps toward racial segregation, the open violence of Kristallnacht, the ghettos, the labor camps, and finally Auschwitz, and the so-called final solution, are certainly unique in their ghastly dimensions. However, the basic pattern can be discerned in the tragic drama enacted 3,000 years earlier under Pharaoh. This escalation of evil in our text at the hand of Pharaoh is the immediate context for our text tonight. And the wider context includes God's promise that he had made to Abraham. Hundreds of years before, I put it in your, t in your notes, Genesis 15, verses 13 through 14, the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. What a promise God had made so many hundreds of years before that would have been passed down from generation to generation but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. That's Egypt. And afterward, they, that is the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, shall come out with great possessions. In our text, in Exodus 2, uh, God does not speak. He apparently has not spoken for over 300 years uh, when we come to chapter 2. Rather, he acts providentially to fulfill his purpose. Though God is not named in our text, he very much is the one who is bringing these events to pass. I'm going to read to us um, chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 10. Uh, so I'd ask you if you're able to stand in honor of God's word. Chapter 2, verse 1. <clears throat> Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. 
She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because, she said, I drew him out of the water. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. I have a question that I put in the bulletin for our discussion. What is amazing about this event? What is amazing about this event? Larissa. Yes. Um, even though she knew that it was a Hebrew child, she could have yeah. been like, we need to kill this baby. Right. You know, but she, her heart was softened. So I feel like this is God's first sign of work, working mm-hmm. and softening people's hearts. Yes. To love, compassion. And the other thing that I found unique was how he worked it where his actual biological mom was able to nurse him <laughs> and have those Yes. Pharaoh's daughter's pity, compassion for the Hebrew baby boy. And then that Moses' own mother is enlisted to to nurse him in his early years. What else is amazing about this? Debbie. So the Lord's protection of Moses uh, from the the Pharaoh and his decree uh, to that the baby boys were to be put to death, and then late, later um, water is going to be significant as the Lord uses Moses to lead the Israelites through the Red Sea. Uh, Enoch. How brave Moses' sister was to speak to the to the princess, uh, the daughter of Pharaoh. Anything else? What is amazing about this, Lillian? Yeah, princess went against her own father, uh, the Pharaoh, when she protected. Moses. Dorian. The river was supposed to be a place of death. Yep. But it became a place of life. Yes. Pharaoh said, throw them into the Nile. That they would die there. And he's put 
into the Nile in an ark, and he's protected them. Anything else? What's amazing about this text? We, we have noted quite a lot. It is a very amazing event. Uh, in the first four verses, uh, Moses is hidden. Let's take a close look at this first section where Moses is hidden. Look at verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. Now we learn the names uh, of this man and woman in chapter 6, verse 20. Uh, the man's name is Amram. And his wife's name is Jochebed. Verse 2. The woman, that's Jochebed, conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. Notice she did not bear a daughter. She bore a son. So according to Pharaoh's command... The Egyptians were to cast him into the Nile to his death. By faith, Jochebed viewed Moses as a gift entrusted to her by God. And Jochebed defied Pharaoh's decree, hiding her son for three months. So to hide her son, she would have to keep her baby boy from being seen and would also have to keep her baby boy from being heard. Right. This could be a challenge. For three months, uh, she defied Pharaoh's decree, hiding her son. Her son that she knew was a gift entrusted to her by God. Hebrews 11.23 uh, speaks of the faith of Moses' parents. I put it in your notes, Hebrews 11.23 by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Let's continue in our text with verse 3. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. Notice the word basket in the ESV. She took for him a basket. Uh, this is not the normal Hebrew word for basket. Uh, this is teva. I assume that the brand name teva comes from this word teva. You know, the, the, the company that makes uh, sandals uh, designed for water sports. The only other passage in the Old Testament that uses this word is Genesis 6 through 7, where the word is used 28 times and is translated ark. It's the word for ark. And uh, when it's used here in Exodus 2, it, it clearly would bring to, to mind uh, the ark in Genesis 6 through 7. Jochebed made a small ark for her baby boy. And that's exactly how the New King James translates this. They don't translate it as basket. They translate it as ark. That's what Jochebed made for 
Moses, an ark. We read that she took for him a basket made of bulrushes. Bulrushes are papyrus reeds, which grew abundantly on the banks of the Nile. She made this basket, this ark, out of bulrushes, and she daubed it with bitumen and pitch to, to seal the water out. And she placed it among the reeds by the river bank. These reeds may have kept Moses from floating away. And probably uh, she had it placed intentionally at this location where Egyptian women were expected to come to the river in hope that an Egyptian woman would have sympathy on the baby. That appears to be Jochebed's thinking. So she makes an ark to keep baby Moses safe and puts him in the reeds, a place where he's going to be protected from the current, apparently a place where she expects Egyptian women to come. And her hope is that in God's providence, an Egyptian woman will have pity for this Hebrew baby boy and will seek to protect him and care for him and bring him up. Verse 4. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him, apparently at the instruction of her mother. And this sister's name is Miriam, which we learn in chapter 15, verse 20. Now, I have a question that I put in the bulletin for our discussion. What is indicated by the fact that Moses' mother put him in the basket in the river? What does this tell us? What does it reflect? Yes, Rita. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she has hope that he will be saved through this. What else can can we add? What is indicated by the fact that Moses' mother put him in the basket in the river? What does this reflect? What does it show? There's a faith. Faith Faith in the Lord. (laughs) Yes. She's expressing faith in the Lord. Dad? Uh, she did not fear the king, as it says in Hebrews 11, 23. Yeah. Faith overcame the fear of the king. Mm-hmm. She did not fear the king? Pettis. She's trusting that God will protect her son. Enoch.
Just hoping for that. Anything else we have? Esther? You think because Pharaoh said, "Put throw the babies in the Nile, and she puts them in the Nile. <laughs> Anything else? We see a combination of her trusting in the Lord and exercising responsibility. She doesn't just trust that the Lord is going to protect her son and just continue on as always, keeping her baby boy in her home, uh, just living life, trusting that God will protect him. While she trusts the Lord, she exercises responsibility. She makes an ark for him. She thinks carefully about where to put it. Um... Trusting the Lord and exercising responsibility. She shows hope in the Lord, which is the opposite of despair. It'd be easy for someone in these circumstances to despair. But rather than despairing, she hopes in the Lord. She hopes that the Lord is going to spare her son. And there's another word that's not been mentioned. It shows her love for her baby boy. She carefully places him in the basket in the river. So Moses uh, was hidden, and then in the next section, Moses was found. Moses was found in verses 5 through 9. Look at verse 5. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. So the Pharaoh's daughter goes to the Nile River, uh, and it could be a tributary of the Nile. It might, it's not necessarily like the main section of the, the, the Nile River. She goes to bathe at the river. The Egyptians regarded the Nile River as sacred. Possibly, as she's bathing at the river, not only for physical cleansing, but ceremonial cleansing as well. Now, this is almost certainly not what Amram and Jochebed expected. That the daughter of Pharaoh would find her baby boy. She was hoping an Egyptian woman would find him, but not the daughter of Pharaoh. Probably never crossed their minds that the daughter of Pharaoh might be the one to find their baby boy. The daughter of the king who commanded the deaths of the Hebrew baby boys. Yet in God's providence, the right person came at the right time to the right place. Uh, let's continue in verse 6. When she, that is the daughter of Pharaoh, opened it, 
She saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Notice that she took pity on him. Rather than submitting to her father's evil plan, she took pity on this Hebrew baby boy. Verse 7. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And was stated earlier, this took courage for Miriam, a child, seeing the daughter of Pharaoh opening this basket with her baby brother in it. It took courage for Miriam to go up to the daughter of Pharaoh and so boldly ask, shall I go? And call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you. Maybe if Pharaoh rethought things, he would have killed the baby girls. Verse 8. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Pharaoh's daughter defied Pharaoh's orders. In God's providence, uh, the princess did not ask Jochebed to come and be a nurse for Moses in the palace, but rather to take Moses and care for him in Jochebed's home. This is very, very significant. You know, you, you, could, you, you could just imagine the princess saying, okay, here, here's someone who can be a nurse. Okay, I will have the nurse come to the palace. I'm not going to let this boy out of my sight. I'm going to have the nurse come to my palace to nurse him, to care for him. But no, in God's providence, princess sends Moses with Jochebed to Jochebed's home to nurse him, to care for him, to bring him up until he is of age. Now, we do not know how many years Jochebed took care of Moses. Now, some say you know, it could have been two to three years. Others say it could, be, could have been as many as 12 years. We, we just don't know how many. But it appears to have been long enough for Moses' parents to effectively teach him about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Later on, he clearly knows the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he wouldn't have learned of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the palace of Pharaoh. So his parents apparently took care of him long enough for them to effectively teach him about the true God. Now imagine being in the position of Moses' parents, seeking to teach him everything you know about the true God before Pharaoh's daughter takes him into her household. There's an urgency here. You probably don't know when Pharaoh's daughter is going to call for Moses. You don't know how long you have with your son. And the urgency to teach him everything you know 
of the true God. During this time, Moses learned about his true identity as an Israelite. He's not an Egyptian. He is an Israelite. He is a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He learns from his parents about his true identity as an Israelite. He learns from them of the promises that God had given to his people. Those promises that you learn of in the book of Genesis that God repeated again and again to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses would have learned of those promises. Moses' worldview was shaped during this time by his parents' teaching, which provided the basis for the faith that he would later exercise. Because of this teaching that Moses received from his parents, later God could meaningly, meaningfully, I didn't type that correctly, could meaningfully identify himself to Moses at the burning bush with the words in Exodus 3, 6, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Abraham, I'm sorry, Moses knew the God of his father, Amram, because Amram had taught Moses of his God. So God will later say to him at the burning bush, I am the God of your father. After Pharaoh's daughter arranged for Jochebed to take Moses and nurse him, Amram and Jochebed could raise him without fear of the Egyptian authorities. So Moses was first hid, then Moses was found, and lastly, Moses was named. Look at verse 10. When the child grew up, she brought him, that would be, a Jochebed brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. So we see here that Moses, I'm sorry, that Pharaoh's daughter adopted Moses as her own son. Now I have a question that I wrote. If you had been in Jochebed's position, and we see Jochebed takes Moses to Pharaoh's daughter. If you had been in Jochebed's position, think of what may have made it very hard for you to bring your son to Pharaoh's daughter. What would have enabled Jochebed to do this? This was not easy. This was hard. What, may, what would have enabled Jochebed to do this? Josh. So having recognized God's hand on what was happening, it was very clear that God's hand was on this, that, that Moses' life was spared, that he even you know, was sent to Jochebed to bring up in his early years. So knowing God's hand is 
on Moses that God's hand is in these circumstances would have helped her to be able to do that very hard thing of handing her o- him over to the princess. What else, Titus? So knowing God, knowing that God would protect him, having faith in God. Anything else we can add to that? Yes, Jim. Anything else that would have enabled her to do this hard thing? Josh? But, but so that 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 there's a fear of the king that would move you to obey the king, but that doesn't provide any comfort. And so you know what I'm especially thinking of is you know what would have provided her comfort as she does this very hard thing. Something else that would have helped her would be the promises that God had already made to his people, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that had been passed down. Promises to bless them, to make them into a great nation. Promise to save them out of the hand of the nation to which they would, uh, in which they would be serving as slaves. All God's promises. Now, as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, Moses would have been educated accordingly. Turn over to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, we're going to start at verse 17. Uh, What does Acts 7 record? Debbie. Stephen's speech. Stephen will be the first martyr. And uh, he gives a very eloquent 
speech by the power of the Holy Spirit uh, before he is stoned to death. And he goes over some of the history of God's dealings with Israel. He's making a point, but I want you to see what he says um, that relates to the events we are studying. Uh, Let's pick it up in verse 17. Stephen says in verse 17, But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, that was the the, the promise of giving them possession of the land. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt, until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Obviously, Stephen is summarizing. He only mentions certain things. Um, There are gaps in here that other parts of Scripture fill in. But what I want you to, to see is verse 22, that Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. This instruction that he received uh, in uh, the, the palace of Pharaoh was you know, the, the best secular education that you could receive in the world at that time. And this, in God's providence, was part of Moses' preparation, part of how God was preparing Moses for the task for which God had chosen Moses. When Moses would lead the Israelites out of Egypt, when he would lead them through the wilderness, uh, when he would write God's covenant uh, for them to, to have and to copy and to study and to read generation after generation. So the first part of Moses' preparation in God's providence was the preparation he received from his own parents when they taught him of the Lord. And the second part of his preparation was the education that he received in the palace of Pharaoh as he was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Pharaoh's daughter... Uh, sealed the adoption of Moses by naming the child Moses. We don't know what Amram and Jochebed called him, uh, but if you come back to our text, Exodus 2, verse 10, when the child grew up, Jochebed brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. He became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. The princess chose this name Moses intentionally. There's an ESV footnote. The footnotes are very small, so it can be hard to read. But there is a footnote uh, for uh, that section. I I drew him out of the water. 
if you look down at the footnote, it says Moses sounds like the Hebrew for draw out. And uh, we're, we're, we're told specifically that she gave him this name Moses, which means draw out, because she drew him out of the water. Moses was drawn out of the water, which Pharaoh intended as an instrument of death. Now, think about this text as a whole. In this text, God overrules and thwarts Pharaoh's purposes. Not only does God spare one of the baby boys, he spares the one through whom he will bring judgment on Egypt and will deliver all the Israelites. And God spares him in a most remarkable way. Peter Enns writes, Pharaoh wishes to counter God's plan by casting infants into the Nile. God saves Moses by casting him onto the Nile and bringing him to Pharaoh's front door. The plan of Moses' parents to rescue him from Pharaoh's decree unexpectedly results in Moses being raised in Pharaoh's palace. This is not the plan of Jochebed and Amram. This is God's plan. John Durham writes, Moses is spared by being cast on the very Nile that was to drown him is treated with maternal kindness by the daughter of the very king who had condemned him and to whose descendants he would become a nemesis and is assigned as a responsibility with pay to the one woman in all the world who most wanted the best for him, his own mother. Who else but God could bring this about? Only God could bring this about. No human being could bring this about. All this occurred in God's providence as God was unfolding his great plan for saving the Israelites through the deliverer he was preparing. Israelites, the Israelites' exodus out of Egypt was not going to be their own doing. This is God's doing. This is God's power. All this occurred in God's providence as God was unfolding his great plan for saving the Israelites through the deliverer he was preparing. This future divine salvation through Moses would prefigure the greater divine salvation through the greater Savior who also would be miraculously preserved shortly after birth from the decree of an evil ruler seeking to put him to death. So when we get to Matthew chapter 2, and Herod is seeking to put Jesus to death, we shouldn't be surprised. We saw the same thing in Exodus 2, Exodus 1. With Herod, he makes an attempt to destroy baby Jesus. He tells the wise men, come, after you find him, come and tell me where he is, so I may worship him. But what's he, what he really intends to do is to put him to death. He's envious. He's paranoid of Jesus. A, a, a ruler who's been born king of the Jews. But just as God thwarted Pharaoh's plan, so God thwarted Herod's plan. The Lord gives a message through the angels to the wise men. Don't go back to Herod. Herod. 
return another way. Well, Herod's first plan didn't work. So Herod comes up with another plan. I'm just going to kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem. And again, God thwarts his plan. An angel appears to Joseph, take the baby to Egypt. Herod is seeking to take his life. Herod's plan is This is all in God's providence. This is God's big plan. It's not a coincidence that Moses was saved from an evil ruler's decree to put him to death. And that Jesus, the greater Savior, the greater Deliverer, he too was saved from the evil decree of a ruler who wanted to put him to death. God was unfolding in Exodus his great grand plan of redemption that would culminate in the sending of Jesus Christ, who had come from this nation that, that God was forming in Egypt, this nation that God would, would redeem out of Egypt, through this nation would come the Savior, the Redeemer, the Deliverer. Well, in application, I want to make four points. First of all, we serve a sovereign God whose purposes cannot be thwarted. We certainly see this in the text. In Exodus 1 and Exodus 2. God's purposes, which he revealed in the book of Genesis, cannot be thwarted. In Job 42, verse 2, God has rebuked Job And Job gets the message. Job has been humbled. And in Job 42, verse 2, Job answers the Lord and says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And our text is an illustration of that. We serve a sovereign God whose purposes cannot be thwarted, and he is an all-wise God whose ways are higher than our ways, and whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts. No one could have ever imagined the plan that God unfolded in our text. His ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts higher than our thoughts, as we read in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. Unlike God, we only see part of the picture. Jochebed and Amram, they saw part of the picture, but just, just part of it. They had no idea what else was going on. Only God sees the whole picture. He's planned the whole thing. Unlike God, we only see part of the picture. Obviously, the, the, uh, the, the, the Egyptian princess, she only small, saw a small part of it. Every character in this only saw a small part of it. We are in the middle of something much bigger than our circumstances. A plan that God is unfolding. A purpose that He is fulfilling. We only see part right now of the picture. And it is for us to trust and hope in the Lord and to act on such trust and hope as Jochebed did. She trusted in the Lord. She hoped in the Lord. And she acted on that trust and hope and made an ark, sealed it, put her son in it gently 
and laid them right there in a carefully thought out place. It's for us to trust and hope in the Lord and to act on such trust and hope. Do you have any questions or comments on anything that we have seen tonight? Esther. Well, you know, it, it certainly appears that not many were killed because, you know, you, you get to the Exodus and there's over 600,000 fighting men who go out of Egypt. Uh, the nation's about 2 million um, at the time of the Exodus, just basing it on how many fighting men there, there were, a good estimate. And, you know, 400 years before, there was less than 100 of them. So we see how greatly they have multiplied. Um, so whatever was done in following this edict to put the baby boys to death, it, it certainly didn't destroy a whole generation. So, you know, did, it, did the edict only last for a short time? Were, were there many boys that were saved from the, the decree? We don't know. It certainly appears that that there were uh, there were some that were killed. You know, they're hiding their boy for three months for good reason. You know, they expect if they don't hide him, he's going to be killed. So you have other Hebrew boys being killed, um, but it didn't devastate the nation. H how the others uh, were spared, we we don't know. Any other questions or comments? Robert. Well, when we get to the golden calf and and Joshua or um Joshua? Aaron, Aaron. Aaron asks, you know, who who's on the Lord's side? It's the Levites who step up uh to put to death the those who were um breaking the, the, the covenant. Um and then because it was the Levites who were faithful to the Lord in that golden calf incident at that, at that point, um, the Lord set them apart unto himself to serve um, in, in, in the tabernacle. Dorian. Yeah. In the book of Genesis, they, they almost were cursed. Anyone else? Anything else? All right, I hope this makes you eager to continue in the book of Exodus. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before you, 
our sovereign God, who is all wise. You are the ruler over all things. No one can thwart your purpose, your plan. We thank you that you are faithful to your word. In your providence, uh, the, the Israelites uh, went down to Egypt. Uh, they were spared from the famine. Uh, they grew and they multiplied under your blessing. And you were forming a nation there. You were preparing to bring them out into the promised land by your great act of redemption. And Lord, we thank you for how you spared Moses' life and for how you, in the most unexpected way, prepared Moses to be your instrument through whom you would bring the Israelites out and by whom you would bring judgment upon Egypt. O oh Lord, may our trust be in you and in your promises. Enable us to be like Jochebed, who trusted in you, who hoped in you, and who acted on that trust and hope. May our lives bring you glory. And we do thank you that you sent one who is greater than Moses, a greater deliverer, your very own son who became flesh, who was born in the nation of Israel under the law in the fullness of time to provide the redemption that was foreshadowed for so many hundreds of years in the Old Testament. Thank you for our Redeemer, our Deliverer, our Savior. And we pray in His name, Amen.